Good morning, church. It is so great to see you here at Speedway and those of you watching online. Uh, we exist as a church so that you might be able to experience everything that Jesus Christ has made available to you when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And one of the primary things that you can do to experience that is what we're doing right now in a thing called the New Testament Challenge, and that is to engage the Word of God. It does amazing things. It's the number one catalyst for your spiritual growth. A second, the second most catalytic thing to move you forward, believe it or not, is serving. Getting out beyond yourself, something bigger than yourself, and serving the body of Christ and beyond. So I want to encourage you to do that by going to westsidefamily.church/serve for your own sake and for the sake of the people that you will be serving. A third thing I would recommend to you, as you that you set on your bucket list or your goals for you and your family, is that you take a global trip at some time in your life or in the raising of your children's life because it'll give you and particularly your children a different view of the world other than Kansas City, Johnson County. It really, really will. This is something that Roseanne and I did when we raised all of our kids. Uh, we took them on a family trip, and then we sent all of them on individual trips for them to gain that perspective. And I think now that our children are grown, it has served them well. So we have a number of global trips that have opened back up again. Go to westsidefamily.church slash global impact and you'll see all the trips that are available to you from all around the world to even closer to home and one of the trips uh, this next year is going to be a trip to Israel that Roseanne and I are sponsoring we would love to show you the places where Jesus walked where Jesus lived where Jesus ministered to people and so you can check out right there on that same site. You can go out into the Commons area. We're also, October the 24th, uh, we're doing a, a Zoom informational meeting that you can go on our website and click and get the link to. And Roseanne and I will be joined by the people that are helping with this trip, answer any questions that you might have. Amen? Speaking of global, uh, a good friend of mine, good friend of Westside, a guy named Morgan Jackson of Faith Comes By Hearing, was delivering uh, dramatized audio Bibles to Ghana, West Africa. And, uh, and uh, it was a, it's a pretty exciting thing. And so he went there. And I want you to know that Westside Family Church has, has done this to provide the word of God to people who have never heard the word of God in their own tribal language. Uh, last year, uh, we collected the resources. If you gave anything to Westside, you are a participant in this. Uh, we uh, provided a language uh, to a group of people uh, that speak Pry in a village in Thailand. It was delivered to them, and uh, they now are hearing today the word of God in their own language because of our collective generosity. You are a part of that. Amen? So uh, he's delivering uh, in Ghana, West Africa, to a group of people, uh, amongst them, a group of people called the Kamkaba uh, people, the Kamkaba people. And when he went into the town to speak to the Kamkaba people, we're going to put a couple images on the screen of the Kamkaba people. When he went there, it, it was, it's, it's customary that you would go to the chief of the village first. That was the right thing to do. And so the translator says uh, to the chief of these Kamkaba people that Morgan Jackson is bringing them the words of God in their own language. And the chief said, oh no, God does not speak Kankabo. He only speaks English. 
And, and the translator said, no, he speaks Konkabo. And so why would he say that? Well, 50% of the world that is illiterate speaks one of 7,000 languages. And these people have been told that their language is the language of monkey and dogs and pigs, that they squeal and they bark and their language is dirty. So if you want to speak, if, God, if you want God to speak to you, you must learn English was their perspective. And so what happens was they push the button and they hear the words of God in Concabo. The chief and those who are around him started laughing with joy. They started laughing with joy and said, stop, 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 wait, wait, wait. And they went and got this thing called the gong gong. And they went through the village, hitting the gong gong, signaling to people to come to the center of the village. And before you know it, 300 people, every single person in the village has come and they're sitting under mango trees because they know something very important is about to happen. Now, remember, these people have never heard the word of God in their own language. So when they push the play button again, silence overcomes the entire village. Everybody is sitting still. Complete silence. If you looked into your eyes, you would see that they were no longer with you. They had entered into the story. Because people who come from an oral tradition can't help themselves. When they hear a story, they enter into that story as though it is happening right to them and right now. When they're done listening, they push the stop button and you can almost literally see them coming out of the story. They shouted, God speaks concabo. He speaks directly to us. We no longer need a translator. God is among us. And the old men immediately say, rewind it, rewind it. We want to hear the genealogy again. It's a, they listen to the genealogy three or four times in a single setting. And if you're like me, you're saying, you know, I skip over the genealogy. I cannot pronounce these names. Why would anybody want to listen to the genealogy once, let alone 10 times? And if you'll give me a moment today, I know it sounds crazy, but I want to tell you why the Concabo people find the genealogy of Jesus to be their favorite part. And maybe when I'm done, you'll ask me to read the genealogy of Jesus again as well. Your assignment this week in the New Testament challenge, we're over halfway now, was to read the first of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew. And of the four Gospels, this is the only one that includes the genealogy of Jesus, which as a pastor, uh, if I spoke on the genealogy like I am today, uh, this uh, would not uh, be a good talk. As an author, this is not going to create the number one best-selling page turner of all times because you would lose your audience in the first 30 seconds, right? But I want you to stay with me. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The genealogy of Jesus begins with Abraham and moves 14 generations to David. 
And then 14 generations, it moves from David to Babylon. And then 14 more generations, it moves from Babylon to the birth of Jesus. And I would read all of it out loud, but I know I would lose you, right? But don't just leave me just yet, because I want to tell you why the Concabo people leaned into it so seriously. They're not only leaning into it, but they are coming to Christ because of it. And they're not only coming to Christ because of it, but their lives are changing. Men who were beating their wives and alcohol that ran rampant in these villages and the worshiping of other gods, they completely changed it. And not only that, but they would create a song of the genealogy of Jesus, a song, and they would run through the other villages around them, inviting people to accept Christ through the genealogy song. (laughs) I know you're confused, right? But here's why it's such a big deal. Several years later, Morgan Jackson uh, was introduced to an African man from Zimbabwe, from Zimbabwe, and this man also indicated that the genealogy of Jesus was his favorite story in the Gospel of Matthew. He explained that in African culture, people don't care how much money you have. They don't care where you went to school. What they want to know is who's your daddy's daddy's daddy's, your genealogy. He said that when you... uh, that, it, that he himself came from a very important chieftain tribe and that he was the firstborn of his father and his father was the firstborn of his father. So whenever there was a, a big issue to decide on, back in his village in Zimbabwe, he would jump on a plane and head back to that village and the aunties of his father would teach all of the women of the community their genealogy in song. So that when this man arrived and was with his father and with his grandfather, the aunties would go ahead of them dancing and singing, Enoch, son of Zechariah, son of Enoch, which is grandfather's name. And they lead all of the people into the center of the village where they know some important people have arrived and something important is going to be done. They would sing their genealogy back from 10 to 12 generations. Wow. And by the time they got to the center of the village, everyone was prepared to listen. So now back to the Concaba people. All the people, 300 people are gathered around these mango trees. And they push the audio button. And now for the entire village, they are hearing for the first time the words of God in their own heart language. And it all begins with the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And everybody is leaning in because this is where Jesus is established for them. They will listen to the genealogy and this will determine whether or not they will listen to him any further. So the genealogy begins. Abraham is the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And this would send a shockwave through the community because everybody in that village knew Abraham and Isaac because of Islam and of Christianity. And Jesus' heritage, his, his lineage goes all the way back 
to Abraham, the main guy, and everybody leans forward. And then 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to Babylon, 14 generations from Babylon to the birth of Jesus. The village goes quiet. It's palpable. Nobody moves. Nobody twitches. Now that Jesus has been established, bona fide, they lean in and the recording moves past the genealogies into the life of Jesus. And they first hear that Jesus is born of a virgin and it shocks them. They don't understand it. Then they see John the Baptist screaming in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And these people begin to repent right there on the spot because outside of Americans, Western Europe people, everyone else knows they're sinners. And they're afraid of judgment and the afterlife. And so they right there in that moment enter into the story and they begin to repent. And then as they're sitting there now in terror, they see Jesus is baptized, that he confronts the devil, that he chooses his disciples. Then they see that Jesus is beginning to heal the sick. Then he comes to Matthew chapter five, where Jesus stands on a mount and gives the most unusual sermon. Now, you got to keep in mind the Concaba people make about a dollar a day. So they're the poorest of the poor. And we don't understand the shock for them when they hear the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus stands up, they're all leaning forward and Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. They said, no, 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 no. Not blessed are the poor. Blessed are the wealthy. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are the meek. They said, no, 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 not blessed are the meek. Blessed are the powerful. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. He said, no, 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 no. Don't bless those who mourn. Then Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. They said, no, 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 no. Not blessed are the merciful, but blessed are those who don't have to be merciful. Everything Jesus said utterly shifted their worldview. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, bless those who curse you. And by the time Jesus is done with the Sermon on the Mount, their worldview has been completely shredded. But they have a problem. Jesus has been established. Jesus has the greatest genealogy of humanity. And they have no choice but to listen to him. That's why the genealogy is their most favorite. So Matthew, who is the author of this gospel, knows a little bit about how the Concabo people felt. Matthew uh, tells his personal story in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Maybe, hopefully, you read it or listened to it. And we learn that he has this personal encounter with Jesus. We also learn that he is a tax collector. Now, in the Roman society, uh, tax collection was nothing short of sort of legalized extortion. And the Roman government uh, would not send their own people to be tax collectors. They would hire local neighbors. So in Jerusalem or in these little towns uh, where the Jewish people are at, they would hire their Jewish neighbors. Thus, we have Matthew, a Jewish man among them who is a tax collector. And oftentimes we see that these local Jewish tax collectors would collect more tax from the people than the Roman government provided, and they would pocket the rest of it. 
And we see this later in the story of uh, Zacchaeus. Remember where Zacchaeus encounters Jesus? He comes to faith in Jesus. And as a, as a part of his sort of restitution, he pays back all of the people he stole from in terms of taxation times four. Right. And so the people in the town who were tax collectors were loathed. You might say that they were a little uh, nothing more than maybe dogs and pigs. So Matthew could relate to the Concaba people. And then one day Jesus comes along and he looks Matthew in the eye. And he says these two words to Matthew that changed his life forever. Follow me. And Matthew cannot believe that a person like Jesus would ever see him as being one worthy to follow him. But before Matthew goes to follow Jesus for the next three years, he invites Jesus over his house for dinner, right? And you can imagine the religious leaders watching all of this. And Matthew decides to invite uh, all of his other colleagues over with him, all the other tax collectors in the town. And Jesus says, yes. And he enters into the house of the dog. And the religious leaders said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Matthew remembers what Jesus says back to them, and he records it in his book. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew was an outcast. And he knew how the Concaba people felt when they received the same invitation from Jesus. Now, you may have missed this this week in reading or listening to Matthew, or maybe you missed it because you skipped over it. Shame on you. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew embeds the name of five women in the genealogy of Jesus. And as you read, it becomes clear that it was highly intentional and that Matthew is trying to make a point because not only were they women, which was highly unusual to be in the genealogy, but these women also felt like outcasts, misfits, throwaways, marginalized. And what I want to do is I want to go over uh, briefly each of these five women uh, in the event that maybe some of you don't know their story. Okay? Is that all right? Okay, the first woman is a woman named Tamar. In verse 3, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, who is Tamar? Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah is the man, and it is from his tribe, his offspring, we are told that the Messiah would come. Tamar's husband, Judah's son, dies leaving Tamar in a very vulnerable place. In that day, to be a widow without a husband, no one to work the land, no one to take care of you, was a very vulnerable position. So she goes to Judah and says, give me one of your other sons. He says he's going to, but he doesn't deliver on the promise. So what does Tamar do? She takes matters into her own hands. And uh, okay, here's what she does. She 
poses herself as a prostitute in a visiting city where she knows that Judah is going to be going through and Judah takes the bait. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is like a show on Netflix, man. This is like a series. You, don't, you want to get R-rated, you don't have to go out into the world. Just like dive into the Bible, man. That is for sure. And she, she, he takes the bait and she gets pregnant, right? Now, here's the question. Of all of the sons of Judah that God could have selected to bring the Messiah, the pure, sinless Messiah through, why in the world did he select the son of Tamar? Is this a mistake? Because if I were God, I would have edited that out. <laughs> I don't think it's a mistake. The question is, what message is God sending us? So two more women are mentioned. The first one is Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. Now first, who is Rahab? Some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but Rahab, she is a Canaanite prostitute who hid the spies who were uh, in uh, uh, Israel, spying out the land to see if they were going to go in and conquer it, and she hid the spies. When Israel conquers Jericho, uh, they They spare Rahab and she becomes a part of Israel and she marries a man from the tribe of, anybody want to guess? Judah. Yeah, his name is Salmon. And of all of the families in Judah, like there's a lot of them, that God could have selected from, he chooses a man who marries a Canaanite prostitute. Really? Seriously? Is this a mistake? I don't think so. So you must ask the question, what is the message that God is trying to send? Salman Salman and Rahab have a son named Boaz, and Boaz ends up marrying a woman named, anybody? Ruth. Some of you say, wow, these people are smart. Yeah, let me tell you about Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman who comes from a group of people that incessantly oppressed the Israelites. She marries uh, one of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi from the tribe of, does anybody want to guess? Judah, who fled from Bethlehem to Moab to escape a famine. As it turns out, all of the men die in Moab and Naomi and Ruth make their way back to Bethlehem poor and broken. I won't tell you the amazing love story found in the book of Ruth that bears her name, uh, but Boaz, the son of Rahab, ends up marrying Ruth, and they have a son named Obed. And it would be through the line of Obed that Jesus would come through. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Of all of the people that God could have chosen from, why did he choose the offspring of a Moabite woman an outcast. Do you think this was an accident? I don't think so. So then you must ask yourself the question, what message is God sending us? Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named, anybody? David, but it doesn't stop there. David becomes king of Israel, 
And as was custom back in that day, maybe one day I'll do like a two-hour podcast on this, but they had multiple wives. Bad idea, but nonetheless, David had multiple wives. One day, while the men are at war, David is back at his palace. The men are at war. David is up, and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath on her, her rooftop. With his power, he calls her, summons her to come into his palace. They have an affair, and this girl gets pregnant. Yeah, gets Pregnant. You know, after you're done with the Netflix series on Tamar, you might want to check this one out, right? Steamy, steamy, steamy. Now, but it doesn't stop there. David has her husband, a soldier serving him, killed in the line of battle, and he marries her. And they end up having a son named Solomon. Let me ask you a question. Of all of the sons that David had, with all of the other wives... Why would he select Solomon's line to be the line that Jesus would come from? The name of this woman, Bathsheba. It says, in Jesse, the father of King David, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I want you to notice that Matthew doesn't refer to Bathsheba by her name or as David's wife but as the wife of Uriah. The man that David had killed. You would think that, uh, you would think that, like, this is a thousand BC, about, okay, this is 400. 400 years later, you would think that we would lose the Uriah guy. But 400 years later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew pens Uriah's wife. Her name is Bathsheba. Could this be an accident? Because I would certainly redact this from the history of Israel. I would. It's not. So you have to ask yourself the question, what is the message that God is sending to us? The last woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus is Mary. Verse 16, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. You would think that God would have chosen a wealthy woman of standing for the Son of God to enter into our world, but he didn't. He chose a poor, simple woman from Nazareth. Why would God do that? And then to make matters worse. I mean, we learn that Jesus is born of the seed of the Holy Spirit, not the seed of Joseph, but the, but the Spirit of God, the angel of God, tells Joseph not to marry Mary until after Jesus is born. Why don't we just turn up the heat on this local scandal? Why would God do that? Is this a mistake? I don't think so. So you have to ask yourself the question, why on five occasions... Did God include these outcasts into the pure lineage of Jesus? And this is where we come to our New Testament challenge. Here's what we learn new today. Jesus is the true Messiah. We should listen to him. Amen? Here is our testament. Here is what we testify to, what we declare. We declare that God loves us, sees us, and speaks our language. 
This is the message that Matthew and the inclusion of these five women is sending to us. That not a single person is outside of the love of God. That God sees you, God loves you, and he speaks your language. Yeah. I mean, you see me today. Some of you are new. You think, oh, here's a pastor. Got his life all together, man. He was probably raised in the church. You know, big church, writes books. Boom, he must have had it all together, right? That's not my story at all. That's not where I came from. My parents were poor. My mom's first house in southwestern Pennsylvania, where it snows, was a dirt floor. My mom and dad had an eighth grade education. My mom and dad moved us to Cleveland, Ohio, where we were lower middle income family. My parents never took me to church at all, like not ever. I was a statistic. I was a flyover. I was a nobody except to one person, God. He saw me. He saw me. He saw me. And he loved me. And he spoke my broken language. And he saved me. And he didn't leave me there, but he brought me here. Amen. Amen. Right? Feel a little Pentecostal today. So I ask you the question, do you feel like an outcast? You've made a lot of mistakes in your life. You feel like you were born into the wrong family. You feel your life has passed you by. Are you poor? Are you broken? Are you unlovable? Are you fill in the blank? Matthew is shouting out, wrong! God loves you. He sees you. And he speaks your language. So this leads us to our challenge today. Let Jesus save you. Back to the Concaba people. After they heard the gospel of Matthew, they would come to the end of the book. The people in the town who served idols their whole life would say, how do I enter into the kingdom of God? This should be our question as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you that you see us and that you love us. I thank you that you right now are seeing a lot of people who are broken and they are hurting. And I pray that you would let them save you today. As we enter into this time of worship, Father, let us us meet with you. Let us do business with you as someone who loves us so deeply. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.